big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Well, hello, all you beautiful cyclists. It's Sarah and I am back with my Saturday solo cast where I try to fill you newbie cyclists in on some tips, tricks, facts about this wonderful sport that we love so much. Now today I want to chat about the sometimes thorny relationship between riders and the cycling governing body UCI and I want to go through some of the more controversial and often strange rules that the UCI have in place for the sport and then I want to touch on some rules that have been suggested to me that should become enforced. Now I'm sure you all have some opinions on those like I think the UCI should really step in and enforce some strict rules around half wheeling in leisure groups maybe make it punishable by some kind of fine or ban or some kind of public shaming that involves I know throwing rotten fruit something like that (laughs) you guys all know how strongly I feel about half wheeling now there's too many rules to really go through in the UCI handbook I would be here till the cows come home going through rule 1.3.006 about onboard cameras and other devices or 1.3.1 010 where pro bikes need to be available for purchase by the general public. So I'm going to chat about some of the really interesting ones and as ever please send me on your emails to sarah at roadmancycling.com with any feedback or anything you'd like me to cover. Right so let's kick things off with the bike weight rule. The UCI says that the weight of your bike cannot exceed 6.8 kilograms, which in old money is 15 pounds. Now, this is the frame and any of the components that are attached to it and can't be taken off easily to give an advantage, let's say to lighten the bike at the foot of a climb. So your bottle cages are included in the weight, but your bottles are not. Your bike computer mount is included but your bike computer is not and your pedals are included. So the main reason this rule was enforced was for rider safety and the UCI feels that bikes under this weight may be a bit too flimsy and the potential danger when descending or other extreme pressure from the crazy power that these pro riders could you know affect the integrity of the bike now the problem with the rule is and why it's come under a lot of fire is that it was created and enforced in 1999 so well over 20 years ago and bike manufacturing and technology for lighter metals and alloys it's come a long way so even though the components are now lighter that doesn't mean that they're not safe so good news for you if you're a leisure rider and you're not racing under the rules of UCI you can have at it and you can buy any weight bike that you like and there's a lot of climbing bikes out there so you know the the, psych, the bike companies have come up with climbing bikes. I think maybe it's a little bit of a marketing ploy, but that's just me being a little bit sceptical potentially. But I saw recently a specialised ethos weighing in at 5.9 
kilograms. By the way, the word Athos means godless, which is an interesting name for a bike model. I absolutely love it. Maybe you don't need a higher power when you have cycling. I love when bike brands give their models names rather than numbers. I think it just gives a big insight into what the brand is thinking of the time. Now, there's also a bike called the AX Lightness Evo Ultra that was showcased a few years ago and it was 4.4 kilograms. Uh, no, thank you. I would crush that bike by just sitting on it for a moment. It would crumble like tinfoil under me, I think. But the pros are anyone racing under UCI must abide by the 6.8 kilogram rule. Now, the other reason for this rule is that the UCI say they want to have a level playing field and that the races should be about the cyclists and the cycling and not a race to the bottom for the lowest weights. And you know what? I guess if they scrap this rule, you would have the teams with the biggest budgets getting their hands on the lightest bikes and it might give them a big advantage. So the next rule I want to talk about is a bit of a strange one and it's about sloping saddles. Now I didn't know this but you are not allowed a very sloped saddle in UCI racing. In the past your saddle had to be exactly level but the UCI's ball breaking saddle rules not my words, were updated in 2015 and it now lets riders have a tilt of 2.5 degrees and this little bit bit of wiggle room for a slope in your setup is really important, particularly for time trialists. You see, these TT riders, well, they sit in a very aggressive position to get as aerodynamic as they can. So they sit very aggressively on the saddle and it makes them more aerodynamic so a slight tilt downward will actually help them relieve pressure on their sensitive bits and bobs so i know that this rule and slight update to the rule was very much welcomed by riders in uci number three the uci has banned the use of the super tuck so what is the super tuck i hear you ask Well, I'll stick a link to a picture in the show notes, but basically it's a controversial position on the bike that road cyclists have used for eons and usually when they're descending. So if you can picture it, the rider sits on the top tube and they kind of press their chest. Their chest is as close to the handlebars as they can get. So they're making themselves small and close to the bike and really into very, very compact figure. So they're more aerodynamic and they can go a lot faster. Now, the UCI have also announced that it's putting a stop to riders resting their forearms on the handlebars. So instead of gripping the handlebars with your hands, they're kind of like leaning over the handlebars. It's a really popular position when in the breakaway or in the front, because again, it's really effective at reducing that aerodynamic drag. Racers, if they're caught sitting on the top tube or super tucking or riding with their wrists draped over the handlebars, will be subject to time penalties or disqualification. And in fact, Richard Carapaz, who just a few days ago won a mountain finish in La Valta, well, he was leading Liège-Bastogne-Liège, which is a very famous one-day race. And with about 19 kilometres to go, Carapaz, who rides at the moment for Team Ineos Grenadiers, but he's going to be moving to EF Education Easy Post next season. Well, he had a 20 second lead on the chasers when he briefly leaned forward off the saddle during a descent. This was moments. Carapaz's attack was unsuccessful. 
he got caught by the peloton and swallowed up and but he was disqualified now imagine how controversial it would have been if his attack was successful and if he'd held on to his lead if he crossed the finish line in first place and then he was disqualified there would have been absolute hell to pay jonathan vodders who is an ex-pro and he's current manager of ef education easy post and he's also very outspoken when this rule came into place he went onto twitter to say I wonder if UCI Cycling actually asked the riders about any of the new safety regulations or if the decisions were made by a room full of old dudes in suits who base their opinions on belly size not being compatible with Super Tuck. Ooh, saucer of milk for Jonathan. Me ow. Jonathan was not alone though and this was a very unpopular decision amongst the pros. In fairness, crashing due to the super tuck position it never really seemed to be a notably frequent occurrence and I think maybe perhaps the UCI wanted to ban this so amateur and leisure cyclists didn't see the pros doing it and give this position a crack themselves. Like maybe it's possible. It actually it terrifies me to think of anyone in our club doing the super tuck on a Saturday spin. But yeah, a lot of people are pretty pissed about this and feel that it's a ridiculous rule. Along with the next regulation I want to cover, sock height. Yep, I did just say sock height. And the UCI are incredibly strict on this rule. Socks can't go higher than the halfway between your ankle and your knee. They even have this expandable plastic sock measuring tool that UCI officials carry around to keep everyone in check. And it (laughs) reminds me of the nuns in my girls only Catholic school that would go around with a ruler measuring the distance from your knee to your skirt and like the pro racers we were always trying to gain or actually in our instances lose a few millimeters so to make sure that no one's cheating by pulling their sock up during the race they also actually have random checks at the finish of races which is so hard to believe that this is a thing isn't it Now, Lance Armstrong spoke about this in a podcast and he believes that the rule to limit sock height was actually initially aimed at ensuring that he could not wear compression socks at the tour during his racing days. He said when his team tested compression socks after seeing British long distance runner Paul Radcliffe using them, tests showed that the body was more efficient at pumping blood back to the heart when riders were wearing these socks. So when the Tour de France director at the time, Jean-Marie Leblanc, saw him wearing these compression socks, he was absolutely horrified. And very soon after, the UCI issued a rule about sock height. Hmm. Now, Lance believed Leblanc had gone to the UCI to get knee height socks banned. And the new rule, which was the first of its kind, relating to socks being introduced as a direct result. The UCI stated the sock rule is part of a UCI crackdown on clothing being used for aerodynamic gains. Interesting. But look, whether it's for compression gains or for aero gains, I mean, socks up to the knees look terrible anyway, so I'm all for this. I think Jean-Marie Leblanc had a point, and I actually think he just didn't want to see his beautiful sport, this beautiful stylish sport being marred by knee-high socks. Now, as I said, the list of rules is as long as your arm in the UCI, so I'm not going to cover too many more rules, but... 
there's a few that I can't not quickly mention. So absolutely no black rain jackets allowed. Rain jackets must be in the team colour or see-through. And I I, I understand this. If every, it starts to rain, everyone puts on a black raincoat. No one knows who's who, what team they're in. So yeah, they must be in the team colours or completely see-through. Littering. Used to be completely carte blanche as to where you threw your empty wrappers. But now there's dedicated litter zones. I don't think it's a bad, bad thing at all. I do feel sometimes though if a rider is going up a climb and they see a really young fan he's like screaming at them can I have your bit on can I have your bit on and they can't pass it to him that breaks my heart a little bit. Another rule is no sponsorship allowed from the porn industry or any alcoholic spirits or tobacco. Imagine if Pornhub hoarding replaced all the Skoda and Vitale signs that we currently see. And the biggest rule, even more important than no sponsorship from the porn industry, biggest, most important rule according to UCI, absolutely under no circumstance ever, not over the UCI's dead body Never any Lance Armstrong. (laughs) And you guys all know how I feel about that. A few new rules, though, that people have suggested here are banning of race radios. So this would mean that there's no communication between the riders and the team cars. So they can't discuss tactics or get any live information on what's happening in the race around them or behind them or in front of them, you know, such as breakaways or who's crashed or what team is unorganised or who looks tired. And I think pro cycling and coverage is actually going the opposite way. And we're seeing more information from each rider. We're seeing snippets of radio communication even bet- being played on the TV coverage between the rider and the the team car which personally I absolutely love but like I totally get it there's a case for banning radios and technology like parameters cycling used to be about instinct and experience and self-knowledge and you know bravery but now how much autonomy do the riders really have when they literally have their boss constantly in their ears next thing that mm, bit controversial but banning of wearing of helmets. I know if Anthony was here, he would say he misses the days of no helmets because you could really see the riders' personalities come through. And this in particular makes me think of Marco Pantani. Now, Pantani's attacking style and aggressive riding turned him into a fan favourite in the late 1990s. He was known as Il Pirata. So that in English is the pirate because of his shaven head and the bandana and the earrings he wore. He was also known, by the way, for being the best climber in the world, but his career and life was marred by addiction and he passed away way too early in 2004 from cocaine poisoning. It said his addiction really took hold of him when he fell into depression after being popped for using EPO. But now, I don't know, we need to that kind of personality and style is gone and all the riders to me look like carbon copies of each other it's so difficult to discern who's who but look I think helmets are here to stay okay another thing that some people feel very passionate about is full 
race leader kits and bikes. So this one doesn't really bother me, but you'll see in the Grand Tour is that the rider in the leader's jersey, so yellow for the Tour, pink for the Giro d'Italia, red for La Vuelta, they'll sometimes wear the leader's jersey with black shorts or they will opt for head-to-toe yellow or pink or red and they will also be on point with the leader's colour on their bike. So a lot of people have an issue with this, but you know what? I kind of like the full full colour commitment. Go hard or go home with it. Next up is a petition to ban bands and onlookers on the road. And as someone who's been to the tour and shouted on the riders up afterwards, I can say that it is the most incredible experience. It's unlike really any other sport. You can literally reach out and touch these heroes that you've been following and admiring for years. I could have reached out and grabbed Julian Alaphilippe <laughs> and listeners to the show know my love for him but I do also see the merits in banning the spectators from lining and crowding the route and we have to think of the rider safety. Now I've no idea how they would accomplish this would they put barriers along the two and a half thousand kilometres of the tour for instance um, at the moment the police do try their best to keep the crowds in check but it's pointless really. You try keeping 5,000 plus crazy orange clad flare bearing drunk locked fans on Dutch corner in order. (laughs) Good luck with that one. Now there's also been some calls to get rid of the motorcyclists that support the races. There are countless you know close calls or actual instance where motorbikes and cyclists collide. So will we eventually see the number of motorbikes reduced, especially the ones where cameras are on board? So as drone technology improves, maybe this is the way that we'll get our footage in the future. Okay, folks, that is me for the Saturday podcast. I will actually be back on Wednesday filling in for Anthony, who is currently riding across a desert with his teammate Aaron Kearney in the Badlands gravel race. So Anthony is going to be sending me and the editor some clips as to how he is finding the race and you know talk about his fueling, how his sleep is going if any, hydration, you know how they're coping with the heat and if they're having mechanicals and loads more. So tune into that. I think that is going to be really really amazing. So until then you gorgeous gorgeous cyclists have a great weekend safe paddling thank you for listening to today's podcast have you ever wondered how good you could actually be each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work family and social obligations but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling okay okay maybe you won't ever win the tour de france but for most of us this is what cycling is about So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.